Ah, you can wear them if you want. Well, I'm grand. Oh, well, well. Go ahead, man. I like to get that, like... Yeah, I know the feel. The feel. Yeah. The feel of I'm on the radio, mm -hmm. you know. I know that. So I guess this is the pilot. This is the pilot, man, yeah. Movie Masters? Movie Masters, yeah. Whether we call the podcast the same thing, that's a different story. Uh, I don't know. Audio Masters? I mean, that's a bit cheesy, but... Because <laughs> sure. we, we didn't look, we didn't go on Spo on Spotify and look up if there's a Movie Masters on Spotify. You no, know, we didn't. I mean, I wouldn't expect something called Movie Masters to be on Spotify, anything visual. I mean... No. But, um, look, that's what we're here to talk about today, about filmmaking. Sure it is, man. <laughs> so I guess... Um, Maybe we should interest, introduce ourselves a little bit, um, you know, so the crowd knows uh, who they're listening to and what they've got going on here. I'm Carl. Yeah. And you're Ruben. I am. <laughs> I'd like to think so. <laughs> and we're both uh, filmmakers. That's oh, right. We're trying to be. Yeah. Well, we, we like to think we are anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, why don't you tell me, I mean, what do you do other than filmmaking? I mean, for me, like filmmaking pays the bills. And I'm a musician full time uh, because, I mean, you know, everyone has a, a fantasy job, right? I mean, what do you think about the transition from music to filmmaking and how did you find that? Because we come from similar backgrounds in that sense. Yeah, man. I don't know. Like filmmaking and music for me, it's two creative things that you can do. And that's why I chose filmmaking. You know, I... I being in the creative scene, knowing how to film and how to make music go hand in hand when it comes to making a music video for your own stuff, etc., etc. I think I have to, re when I do filmmaking or music, I have to really switch off to transition between one or the other. But I think there's many similarities in creativity. And for me, I find it very easy to, to go between the two of them. I mean, yeah, personally, I found with workflow, when you go from using a, a door, a digital yeah. audio workstation yeah. to then uh, the equivalent of a, of a video. Yeah, man. I mean, what do they call that? I, I don't know. Uh, because it, we have... not a digital audio, so no. digital D DV, DV, right? Like, I don't know. I'm DVW. Are there some other filmmakers out there which uh, want to correct us on this? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> DVW, that's, a lot, that's all I can think of, I guess. But anyway... Um, so look, yeah, you're a musician, I'm a musician, we both do film now. For me, where it came from was that when I wanted to play my own music or create my own music, I wanted to be able to go and then make a video clip myself. Exactly. And, I, I feel you, yeah, 100%. You know, um, although you've done this successfully, actually, one of the very first video clips I made was for my own band, but yeah. prior to that, I actually hadn't made anything. And so I just put a, a, a tripod in the room. Mm -hmm. you know, I chucked out some lights. Yeah. Um, you know, I made some quick cuts and I, yeah, I had, I had my first video. But yeah, this is where it all stems from, from wanting to do it yourself. But it's, uh, it's harder if you're in front of the camera and behind the camera at the yeah. same time. You know? um, so look, what was it then like for you that really said like, hey, I'm... A musician but I really want to be a filmmaker you know because anyone can be a musician and buy a camera for the sole purpose of just making their own music videos sure you know so but what was it that you said hey I don't just want to do my own music videos but I want to cater for everyone else as well was it money was it creativity was it like why did it fall for you 
actually, it came from getting fired from a job. Oh, wow. Okay. So I had my music career in, in Melbourne. I mean, the majority of it. So I'm, yep. I'm from Perth, Western Australia originally. But I, I moved to Melbourne to study sound engineering. And while I was living in Melbourne, I was working as a DJ full time. I was, I was playing at nightclubs. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, it was my birthday. And I was DJing at this club. I think it was my 25th birthday. And I think someone sparked my drink. Either that or I got <laughs> really, really drunk. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I passed out behind the DJ booth. And um, I woke up the next day not remembering if I'd played, where I was, how I, wow. got, how I got home. And it, w- it was a bit, a bit of a scary experience. So you had quite a bad experience then with getting potentially yeah. spiked. And I, well, I woke up to a phone call from the manager saying, do you know what happened last night? And I was like, no, I have a splitting headache. I remember nothing. And yeah, please tell me what happened. Well, they said, well, for a start, you're fired. I'm sure, yeah, he looked at you then or she and was like, wow, you've just got too drunk or whatever. And Yeah, that's exactly what they thought. And um, so I got fired from my DJ job. And that place I played at, uh, all their management run all the other rock and roll nightclubs. And that was the kind of music I was playing. So I'd kind of ruined it for all the nightclubs in Uh. Melbourne. and it was one of those things where I was like, shit, I've just lost um, all my income. Um, yeah, what other way do you know how to make money? Like, what else do I want to do with my life? Um, because it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, is this the end of my career? Like, have I really like put my foot in it? Because, um, yeah, don't burn bridges. I mean, <laughs> yeah, unless they're the yeah. right ones to burn, but... No, it wasn't. It wasn't intentional. Um, till this day, I uh, my drink was spiked. Okay, I, I yeah, didn't. No, I didn't I, just get drunk. I, I believe. I believe that for sure. But um, yeah, and and it was one of those like wake up moments. I was like, okay, I'm 25. Yeah. What I want to do with the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I really like movies. <laughs> like, yeah. I like I like watching movies. I like renting movies. Um, I like critiquing movies. I want to make some movies. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Um. Always, I'd throughout my whole life, I'd always been a big movie fanatic. Um, I I found it very difficult when I would go to the video store back back in the days of the VHS. And you, you, you know, I found one here in Berlin the other day. A full, well, it's not VHS, but it's a DVD shop. There's one here in Berlin in uh, Prenzlauberg. Uh, it's crazy. All the old DVDs everywhere. They've got all the old qualities. It's, it's right. insane. I had a great time. Did Did you ever have Blockbuster? Yeah, in the UK, we had Blockbuster and we had uh, something called Extra Vision as well. Okay, yeah, but I remember that like yesterday. Because yeah, Blockbuster was the, the at least the go-to one for me, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I'd I'd walk through the store and every every movie I'd pick out, but seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it. Yep. And yeah, it was just one of those things where I'm like, I think I want to become a filmmaker. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. really simple as that. I mean, I did study sound engineering at university and. This is what got me in. One of the things that got me into it as well was that part of our course, we had to do music to video. So okay. so they're like, okay, here's some music. Now, you know, put that, edit that with some video and make it match and do the sound effects and do the soundtrack. And like, because if you get a job as an audio engineer, you know, this is potentially one career that you might have down the track. Yep. Um, so they kind of teach you all bases and, it was very simple for me, I found, you know. 
I had never used the video editing software before, but it felt natural, right? It felt natural. Okay, cool. Because I've been using um, DAWs, yeah, D A W, Digital <laughs> Audio Workstations, for a long time. Um, in I think it was two thousand and two, I got my first demo of Ableton Live. Okay, so we're, that's twenty years ago yeah, now. Wow, that's that's crazy. And I've been using Ableton Live ever since. Um, one could say I'm a master. I'm a, I'm, I'm a logic guy myself, so I wouldn't understand. <laughs> well, but anyway, that's that's how I got started. I mean, tell me more about maybe your experience is a little different. I mean, yeah, for me, I was uh, I grew up in Ireland in the back house of absolute nowhere in a little town called Enniscorthy. And uh, if, if you ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, yeah, sure. You know when they stormed the beaches of Normandy? Mm-hmm. That's my beach. Really? Yeah, Coraclo in Ireland. Uh, as far as I'm aware, anyway, if someone else has more knowledge, then <laughs> please do call me out. But I'm pretty, like, 99.9% sure that that's the case. And um, it's very small. And, you know, I started doing videos on YouTube for singing. And one day I was like, you know, I need more than this. I want more. And I went to school and I had these ear stretches in my ears. And the teacher turned around and said, Ruben, you need to take that out. That's inappropriate for school. And me being my sassy little musical self turned around and was like, well, I need freedom of expression. And this is my image. And my image is important to me as a singer, blah, blah, blah. And she basically was like, you know, you need to go home and take it out. So I said, well, you know, piss off. I'm not coming back to school. A week later, I actually moved to the UK and moved to Manchester. And I thought, well, this will be great. I'm going to go straight to music college. And it turns out music school was full. So I started a media course and I learned how to uh, code websites. I learned how to market media, learned how to use all the Adobe packages. It was basically a creative media course. And during that, we had to do like film projects and photo projects. And it was not long after that course, I started busking and all that. And I kind of forgot about it and put it out the window and was like, you know what, you know, video is not for me. Or I just, just put it to one side. The more I did music and the more I was busking, I was making some money and I thought I don't need anything else. This is it. The older I got, I realized, okay, how much longer do I have to play music on the streets to make meet, you know, make ends meet? And how long is this going to last? You know, so I picked up a camera again and my first, my first job was filming uh, a fashion video for, for these guys. They wanted like a little showreel kind of a thing for their agencies and it was for free. And it was after that, I was like, you know what? I think this is going to work. And I remember making my first, like, it wasn't much. It was like maybe a hundred pounds. And I was, I was so happy. I thought, oh my God, I've just made a hundred quid for, you know, a couple of hours work. And I really loved it. I wonder if I could get 10 of these a month. You know, at the time that, that was my way of thinking. And I was like, this is the best thing in the world. And it just it just rolled from there and just kept going forward. So when you did that job, what camera were you using? Okay, so I was using a Sony A7S Mark One. Okay. So it shot. So I bought it right. So the the story behind that was, I always wanted a Sony A7S, and 4K at the time was new, and I was like, oh my god, I need this. It shoots 4K. I didn't realize I needed an external monitor like an Atmos Ninja to record the 4K. 
So I was only shooting 1080 most of the time. But I was so excited. And I was looking everywhere for this camera. My budget was so limited. And before that, I was shooting with a Canon C70. Uh, not C70. Uh, Canon 70... Uh, D. 70D, that's the one, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I was like... Um, you know what, I need a Sony. I have to have a Sony. This full frame thing, you know, it's it's the latest technology. So you, are you talking, so just over here in the corner there, Yeah, that's the A7. Well, no, it was the A7S. So you had the S. So, so it's like, basically almost the same thing. Yeah, almost the same camera. And it, yeah, it looks exactly the same. And I was so excited. But how I found this was on a whim one day, I went out into Manchester and I was like, I want to buy this camera. How am I going to buy this camera? They're at least 800 pounds. I'm looking everywhere. I just sold my Canon and I was like, right, I've got 600 quid. What am I going to do? Anyway, just by chance, I went to a shop called CEX and lo and behold, in the window was this Sony A7S for £550. And my mind was doing backflips. I had no idea. It felt like God had just bestowed like the most amazing miracle upon me. What, what, what year was this? Wow, okay, this was, I'd say, three years before the pan... No, more than that. Four years before the pandemic. Uh, so what's that? That's, uh, what, six years ago, maybe? Uh, I'm not... I don't know. Uh, what are we in now? Which 2022? So, what, 2016, maybe? So the, 17? Um... When did the A7S come out? That's what I'm, I'm looking that up yeah. right now. Yeah, was that 2012, 13? Because it was relatively old, I think, still, when I bought it. 2014. Okay, yeah, so it was two years old. April so 2014. It would have been 2016 when I bought it. The S stands for, okay, this is new to me, sensitivity. Oh, because it's because it, it's a... Uh, it can shoot good low light or yes yes. yeah and that's why i wanted it and every time i was looking at youtube i was like oh yeah look at the low light reviews and i was going crazy i don't think i ever used it in low light but besides the point it was the best camera i ever had and this 1080 was crazy and yeah i went from there and i did so many projects on this camera i can't even tell you and i had the the worst equipment at the time I had no autofocus, I had to learn, which was good, you know. Um, I had no 4K, which is not a problem, obviously, but the world had changed and everyone was shooting 4K, so that was kind of a limit. But I did so much with this camera and I made it work and it really pushed me to be a better, you know, cinematographer. I mean, that's a good camera to start with. So so when I started, oh, I actually had one of the... Uh, the old uh, handycam style cameras. Oh, wow. Where okay. you could, you still had the, the, the zoom and the, like, yes. on, on the camera itself. And it says, like, W and T. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so th- this was a, look, I don't know the exact model, but it's like a Sony XD cam. And, right. and it had a, an XLR, two XLR outputs wow. on it, on, on, an, on a microphone extension. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shot HD. <laughs> well, that's this great. Is, you know, this is we're, we're talking about 2010. That's uh-huh. when I bought that first camera. But within one one to two years, I'd already stopped using that camera. Really? So, like, I bought it as my first camera, thinking I look all professional. It's, it's got a flip out yep. screen. It's got an on top microphone. 
um, you know, it was over a thousand dollars and said Sony on it. And <laughs> to be, at the time, I didn't know anything about filmmaking. I just looked like it seemed like a good camera at the time. Yes. But then, um, so the question is for me, I know my experience, but what was your experience like going from that to a higher level, um, your more intermediate camera? Well, the biggest thing, uh, this was a game changer for me was the use of uh, SD cards. Okay. So that was a tape camera. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's still... In what year? 2012? 2010? And I bought it in 2010, but okay. it was probably already eight years old. Okay. Right? Fair. So, yeah. But it used tapes. And so to record this footage to my computer, yeah. I had to press play on, on the camera, and then I had to press record in Final Cut Pro. And I had to let it play out. Oh, yeah. So you record the whole thing into digital then? Yeah. Oh, wow. So what was your process? So when you upgraded, what camera did you go to? From there, I went to uh, the Canon D500. Okay. And that was my first SLR camera. Okay. And then I went... D500, yeah. Yeah. And then I went from there to, I think, a 650D. Okay. Um, now for almost 10 years up until about a month ago, and I only mm-hmm. stopped using this because it literally fell apart in my hands. <laughs> right. Um, the Canon 50 millimeter F 1.8. Yeah. Now this lens, look, if you're starting out in film, like the nifty 50 man is the way to oh. go. I swear. When I first got that, I was like, Oh, like, wow, wow, we wow. You know, yeah. it was like a proper Borat moment. I was like, oh my God, there's like the revelation. This is crazy. What is this bokeh? Like, that's it. What's going on? That's it. Obviously, I shot everything with bokeh wide <laughs> open. I had no idea that, you know, you don't have to do that. But at the time. No, but once I, once I got my hands on like the, 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 my first 50 millimeter lens, I mean, I'd gone from using kit lenses. Yeah. You know, any lens that came with my camera. 1855 standard, 3.5 to 4.5 exactly. or whatever. You know. And then you put on this 50 mil and the the bokeh. But what I got to say is a lot of the cameras I used, well, shortly after the Canon, I didn't have the Canon for that long, but I really, I really liked the Canon. But because I had previously gone from a Canon, I'd bought lens adapters. So my next camera, now this, this one is really outside of the box. Um, it's a Samsung nx 500 what's that exactly is that a gopro kind of camera or is it an actual it it was one of the first mirrorless cameras that oh wow that came out on the market was it white they had a white one i do you know what right uh, uh, before you continue i know that because when i actually went to get my first camera it was here in berlin and it wasn't the sony it was i went to saturn in charlottenburg and what happened was I had no idea what cameras were and I kept asking the guy what's the best camera and me being me and indecisive I bought a Nikon two days later I returned it and I got a different camera and I returned at least four cameras until I settled on a Canon and that camera that you're speaking about was in the mix yeah and he tried to sell me that camera I never went for it so do tell me more I'm you know I actually think that uh this is one of those like golden gem cameras that come out every once in a while no one knows about it it's a bit like the uh, the sigma fp we we're talking about where, where is the camera now where is the camera well 
Samsung stopped making them. Um, they went. Uh, and where's your one though? Where's my one? Yeah. Stop working. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. And you can't get new parts for it. Oh. So okay. the uh, the shutter, the shutter actually jammed, went shut, and I I snapped the shutter off myself. So not the shutter's got a little um a curtain as you would say. Okay. Yeah. And I I don't that's not the actual shutter. It's like a safety curtain. So like when it shuts, yep. it it doesn't get damaged. But yeah, mine had had broken. And the only way for it to get this camera working was to actually break the, the curtain. The curtain off, um, but it still worked. But it only worked in burst mode after that, and oh. video it didn't take any more photos. Okay. Only, only worked taking burst photos and videos. But um, I still held on to that camera for at least two years using this like semi-broken camera. Yeah. But it just gave phenomenal quality. Um, it was 1080 at the time, right? It was 4K. Wow. Yeah. And it was one of the first... Wait, so you went from tape to 4K? I went from tape to then the the Canon. Oh, yeah. The, the, then straight to... Yeah. Yeah. To so um, when I moved to Berlin the second time, um, not too shortly after I met you... Yeah. I, I was making this documentary, Busking for I Berlin. I remember, yeah. And I, um, I actually lost my camera the first day I got to Berlin. So, Oh, that's funny because you know what? Um, literally, my girlfriend, when we came back at Christmas, she had a MacBook in her bag and a brand new Fuji X-T3 camera that she'd just spent 1,400 quid on with my lens that I'd borrowed her in her bag. <laughs> and she lost her camera and her bag, the lens everything and uh yeah berlin seems to have a little curse i've often lost things when i came to berlin on the first day as well so i can relate to that yeah so this this was uh june 2013 okay and i told one of my best friends that lives in berlin max i said dude i've just come back to berlin i've got a brand new camera an awesome road microphone on top and i'm gonna make this documentary and um that camera was a uh, 5d and i just bought it okay right and i was like this is my going from a, a six a 500d to, to a 650d to a 500 to a 5d yeah and it's kind of going from the mediocre to the pro level um, yeah and um it's a big difference right big difference except i had it for about a month <laughs> <laughs> right. i mean i had it for one day in berlin <laughs> yeah so yeah i made up with my friend and say well we're gonna, I'm gonna make this movie i got this brand new camera so i bring the camera with me because i'm filming a documentary so every meeting i have yeah you know i wanted to be part of the film and um no we we made it a bar and well it's was left at that bar. We went on a pub crawl, uh, like an actual pub crawl. Not, of, of course you did, and then that was the end of that, right? That was the end of that. I tried. I went on the pub crawl again the next night, trying to find the camera. <laughs> Any excuse <laughs> for a pub crawl? Yeah, but <laughs> no, I lost that camera, and then I had to sell my MacBook Pro. To... Oh no! But that's a catch twenty two. You sell the MacBook Pro to get the camera, but then you don't have a, a laptop to do all the exactly. work on. Exactly. I've been there, and I know your pain. I've done it myself. Well, at the time, I had come here with the purpose of making this one film. I didn't come with the purpose of making films for other people. Of course. So I just had to deal with the fact that I'd lost the camera. I mean, there's no point crying over spilled milk. It's like, okay, that's gone. Yep. I need to find the, the next 
not the next best thing, but the uh, whatever I can afford, mm-hmm. whatever will get the job done. Of course. And I can't remember the exact model of the camera I bought, but it was the one before the D500. It um it only shot 720. Didn't even have a microphone input. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I filmed my whole documentary on an outdated camera that that only shot in 720. But you did the best of what you had, right? Exactly. And that's uh, you know some people will complain but you didn't. You just you just did. You well, moved I mean, forward. It was a documentary. Yeah. And when it comes to documentary filmmaking, I think it's more important about the story. The story is the the, the pinnacle. The quality is second yeah. second hand. Yeah. That's the I think the one thing you can get away with, you know, a bit of guerrilla style filmmaking. I agree. You know. But I mean, one thing that I've learned more importantly than ever is and maybe this is something we should talk about is how important audio is next to video. Mm. You know, because I think you can have subpar video, but if you've got really amazing audio so it depends because so I did a documentary not so long ago. It was last year, and it was for this great woman who had you know it's post um, lockdown COVID all that, and she wants to make a video about well being and kind of um, how to better yourself and how to live a good lifestyle, gracious lifestyle. So we did this documentary, and the documentary was her selling her like her what what would you call it not her coaching thing but it's her giving advice on how to live a more fulfilling life so we did like um we showed her daily routine basically which was her getting up in the morning having a, a healthy breakfast playing tennis being out in nature yoga you know and she wants to help people rediscover life again post lockdown and some people did struggle with that and i thought it was a great concept now the problem was at the time I had lost my microphone and I said okay so how do you want to do the audio I don't want to do it from the camera and you know what uh, we ended up using iPhone to record the audio uh, but we wanted I said if we're gonna use an iPhone let's go all the way and make it sound like you're on the phone mm-hmm. and we made the audio basically sound like she was on the phone speaking and it's great and it had such an organic feel and the documentary was an absolute hit with it, with with her audience you know so i think coming back to the question audio is important but if you don't have means to the best audio it's not always the end of the world and there's creative ways you can get around that now video i think it depends again on the shooting style. If it's a documentary, the video can be iPhone quality and uh, you can get away with it. It's stylistic. I mean, everything is stylistic. It depends on the client or yourself and what you want, I guess, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, it really depends on the shoot. You can get away with poor quality on either side. Given the right tools, you can always improve or come up with a stylistic way to put a spin on it and make it look like it was intentional, I guess. Well, I mean, going back to what you said before about using the audio quality that sounded like a telephone. Yeah. I mean, this documentary is about people living with COVID and post-COVID, They lived right? through a telephone. Lived through it. Exactly. It's true. And that's what I'm saying. When we were in COVID, 
we were just on telephones we were on skype calls we were on you know discord yeah, or work exactly yeah all these different ways and so yeah you can get through that sound effects you know um a good royalty free mm-hmm. uh, yep. <laughs> stock music library <laughs> yeah yeah you know um one thing that has changed my workflow immensely now i don't know how long you've been using premiere pro for yeah but only in one of the more recent models of Premiere Pro. Okay. Have you used Essential Sound? No. Bro. What? <laughs> this What's is, this? This is game changing. What, what do you mean Essential Sound? Essential so, Sound. So I'm going to be honest. I'm a traitor and I've just moved to DaVinci. Yeah. And there's a reason for that because I produce music in Logic. And with DaVinci, every single plugin that I have in Logic is automatically transferred into DaVinci. So I can basically use DaVinci like Logic yeah. and it's it's mind-blowing. So totally, for, yeah. for years, I mean, we, we go back to what we are talking about before. We both come from an audio engineering background. We, yeah. We're both musicians. Now, for years, I've just been putting on like a 20-band EQ okay, and um, EQing out the wind or the whistling or yeah. the you know of course just finding the frequencies and exactly them out. exactly the old school way and um only recently in the last year did someone put me onto this new feature that's in premiere pro and it's called essential sound so when you open up your what do we call them again doors yeah. doors <laughs> no yeah. but the uh, the one for video oh, uh dvw dvw all right we're <laughs> guess, going yeah. with dvw when you open up Premiere, on the right-hand side here, you've got Lumetric Color yeah. and Essential Sound. Right. Okay. So in in one of your window tabs, if you click on Window, there'll be a section for Essential Sound. Okay. And I mean, the, the, the audience can't see this, but no, I would love to see this. So if you could show me. Yeah. So, okay. So with anyone that's familiar with Adobe Premiere, when you are importing any of your audio if you click on any of your audio tracks and then you pull up window and then click on essential sounds to the right it will bring up four different options dialogue music sound effects oh i have used ambience. this yes i have used that yeah and i always go for dialogue right, obviously exactly. and yeah and then it gives me options and it's really good now right. when you click on dialogue it gives you different options to if you would have clicked on music or sound effects yeah um, now one of the options that i that I have it's got a repair button and you can reduce noise reduce rumble de-hum DS um, the clarity you change the dynamics and then you've got all these preset functions and this has been a game changer for me when editing yep. documentary style footage um, it's rather than putting on like plugins like I was talking about before where you're EQing out the band yourself mm-hmm. this does it for you and it does a better job than I can do. Wow. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to talk about that because that was something that not only gets me excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, this is why we're here, guys, because we're nerds talking about audio exactly. and video. Again, yeah, this you know? is, yeah. And we hope uh, you listening there, you know, you're getting a little something out of this too. Yeah, I'm getting something <laughs> out of you just speaking about all this, mate. I'm going to be honest. You know, you, know what, you know what I really like? I mean... We've only got, I mean, right now for this uh, podcast, we're doing a very simple setup today. So we've just started, well, 
We've just created a, a YouTube channel, literally, what, what did I send it to you, two days ago? Yeah, we did yeah. it over a couple of pints <laughs> in a pub. And, <laughs> and um, we haven't actually up- uploaded a video yet, but we thought we'd, for a day like today, so it's 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 a bit of a cold, grey day. Yeah, set the scene, let's, you know, give the viewers a, a mental image. So right. so we're in Berlin, Germany. Yeah. It is it is July. And it's warm. It's, it's mostly between 28 and 30 most days recently, oh, right? it's been beautiful. As long as you're not playing music on a street in a horse mask, naked. <laughs> in a horse mask, naked. Okay, that's a, that's an, another that's story. Another story. For the, uh, <laughs> we'll get there. But um, yeah. So Ruben and I both come. We're both buskers, and that's how we met. Um, on the street, and yeah, I was playing. Ruben and I both come. <laughs> what? Can't we know? As in, that's our backgrounds. We we play music on the street. Well, that's how we met. Yeah. Anyway, that is, yeah, that's how we met. Um, although. I started playing for for those in the um, the audio Spotify world. I started playing music on the street for a as a journalist for a documentary. So I wanted to make a documentary about street music, and so I, I said to myself, "I'm going to take a journalistic approach, and I'm going to become a street musician for the film." Never having played on the street before. Now I was a musician. But it had been a long time. And it's different playing in a studio than on the street because there are all different kinds of musicians. Um, I mean, there are so many musicians who will sound good in a studio and then you put them in a real-life scenario. It's true. Yeah. I mean, there's even those musicians. I mean, look, I hate to to throw names out here. Do it. Do it. Do it. All right, well, like, let's take Britney Spears, for example. Yeah. I mean... Do you think that she's actually on all the audio recordings that we listen to? Or do you think there's other people there? <laughs> I mean, uh, from personal experience, I mean, I know she probably has like one of the best vocal coaches in the world. And she, let's just say, I, I personally do think she records a lot of her own stuff, but I think what is put out sounds nothing like what she recorded. Let's say that. So it could sound like... A I mean, auto-tune's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. So are a thousand plugins that go on top of that. Yeah, you know? exactly. So yeah, there's this. and um, But look, we're getting off topic here. I started playing music on the street. I was doing it for a documentary. I wasn't the best musician. At least what I was doing was more comedy. And look, a long story short, yeah, I was playing uh, guitar on the street in my underwear wearing a horse mask. Yeah, I think that's when I first saw you. Yeah, it's like, what's going on here? Look, it it um it stopped people in their tracks, and uh, people thought it was funny enough to give me some money. Yeah, (laughs) that's what that's what busking is, right? But it was enough money to live like full time. That's crazy, right? Yeah, but I, you know, if I wasn't, you know, taking off my clothes and wearing a horse head mask, would (laughs) would people be paying me? You know, I mean, that's the big question, right? Well, I mean, maybe we should document that and find out what the results are. Well, I mean, from experience, no, people don't pay me. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. I, that's why. I, that's why I took off my clothes. You know. Yeah. I mean. <sighs> but I mean, yeah. That that's a. I mean, yeah. That's the story of the horse mask, I guess. That's the story. That's. The... I saw you the other day, yesterday, or the day before. <laughs> that's right, I yeah. didn't even know. Yeah, because you had this horse mask on, and I walked by, and I tried to look in the mouth of your horse mask. And I was on the phone and I had to go to the studio and I was looking in this little hole of your horse mask and you were naked. And there was a, a no lie, there was about, oh, you had a crowd. I don't know if you could see. No, I can't you see You had anything. a crowd, mate. <laughs> and everyone was filming 
and you were against the Berlin Wall and you were having the time of your life and you know your little bum was out <laughs> and you just you know singing Oasis having the time of your life and it was hot as hell and just like you're having a really good time mate so for anyone that's ever ever put on a horse mask in above 20 degrees standing in the sun I mean <laughs> let's see how long you can wear it while playing guitar while singing I mean that's the you know that's the hard part while singing you're just breathing this air through this latex mask Ugh. it's um yeah let's see how long you decide to until you decide to take your clothes off you know but anyway there is a movie about that you can watch that on YouTube Busking for Berlin it was released in 2014 filmed in 2013 my first feature film and is this the one that you shot with the and this is the one that I shot with a yeah, 720 no. you know okay. um but no the story and I mean what was really great about that film is that everything was so authentic i didn't plan to lose my camera the first day of course i didn't plan i mean i i don't expect you to plan to lose the camera i I didn't plan to have to sell my macbook pro to buy another camera um and then i didn't plan on becoming a horse (laughs) no one does all, (laughs) all of these things make for interesting stories you know and so yeah for all you documentary filmmakers out there just um just go for it just be honest when i was making that film i um oh look i think i could do a lot better job now and actually this this goes back to a conversation we were having earlier Ruben. um we're talking about a mutual friend of ours um infidelics yeah he goes by the name so i i he's he's a i guess you could call him a famous rapper in berlin at least on the internet he's right for sure he's doing really well and he's done a ton of stuff and you know his virality has really given him his claim to fame and he's he's a great musician overall for sure yeah so he's one of these uh, musicians sadly he didn't make it into my first film because he wasn't in berlin at the time but one person that did was uh, alice phoebe lou now um she's a south african born uh, street musician and i met her back in 2013 and yeah she was just playing um music on the streets and when she would play she would everyone would just stop and watch and listen she'd have crowds of like hundreds of people and um, she became one of those big success stories. So, like, in my film, when um, I'm interviewing her and when and the, the the time back then, yeah, she wasn't famous. And now, I mean, as you would know, yeah, if right. an, if anyone Google's Alice Phoebe Lou, um, yeah, a huge, uh, really uh, streets to success story as a as a musician. Yeah, without a doubt, well, she's incredible. But um, yeah, back to Brian. So. I passed Brian on the street, and he's another incredible musician. He's from Texas. He's a rapper, and um, he's just got back to Berlin as well. He went to Texas for a while, didn't he? Yeah, I think it was his, his first time in a while. Yeah, and uh, just yeah, really passionate rapper, and he goes against all the grain. He goes against everything. I, you know, so when I first met Brian, uh, this story is, is great because I was busking my friend El- Elmore. And we met Brian, and Brian had no busking equipment. He didn't know what he was doing. He had no, he had no idea what to do. And he was living out of a backpack and selling CDs online. And the first day, myself and Elmore busked, we made a quite decent profit. Now we said to Brian, "Hey man, why don't you sell our CDs? We'll cut you in on the profits, and we'll pay for your hostels, and let's just keep traveling, you know." And eventually, Brian kind of was like, "Hey, if you guys can do this, I can do this." So when you say going against the grain, I'll tell you why you are completely right about that. So I remember we were in Amsterdam 
And we decided to sell each other CDs and make our own money, which was even better for all of us. The first time we gave Brian the amp, Brian went up in front of a crowd of kids and parents and started singing, fuck bitches, get music. (laughs) (laughs) And myself and Elmore just died inside and imploded. And Brian's crowd soon enough went away. Brian didn't change who he was and he kept doing the same thing. And Brian had success. Now, if if anyone knows Infidelics and... I love Brian and Brian loves me and he knows that I chat shit about him all the time about his image and I always tell him Brian stop looking homeless and wear something decent give the viewers an image and he says this is my image and always growing up with Brian I was like Brian bro I don't know put something cool on you're a rapper and he's like no man this is my style Brian doesn't care and that is the best part about Brian Brian is completely against the grain he is what he is, and people love him for that, and I I love him for that, and I don't know many people like that. Well, I remember he was uh, he was playing on the street. It was Vajar. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the first times I'd seen him. I remember like watching this guy, and um, okay, now I'm trying to okay for the crowd that aren't viewing this because it's, this is audio. Brian is he's covered in tattoos. All right, he's, he's a bigger guy. Yeah. He's from Texas. He, right? he looks like a, a biker. Yeah, right? like I would be scared of this guy. Like oh, um, and yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I, I met, and, and this is no like homophobia, nothing like that, but I couldn't believe he was gay. That's, that's He told me. <laughs> and I was like, I remember looking at Brian and going, nah, that's a joke. That's a joke, yeah. right? And he's, he's so masculine yes. and scary that I was like, there's no way. And I'm sorry, like I had this picture in my head that gay people have to follow a certain image. And they don't, obviously. No, but sure. I did have a stereotype in my head, I'm going to be honest. This this goes on to what I'm, what I'm about to tell you. So he's playing, and, and in between songs, he goes, Let's do my my best American accent. Go on. Like He's like, yo, if, if anyone's on Grindr, you hit me up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you... Okay, why is this um this white really masculine rapper, American like, rapper. covered in tattoos, making jokes... About, about like you know meeting dudes on grinder yeah. and then i realized it wasn't a joke <laughs> <laughs> it's true i know i was like you you're, you're gay brian i mean there's nothing wrong with that but like jesus <laughs> yeah, this is news to the world like just me. white rapper white gay rapper from texas covered in tattoos yeah you know um i just didn't picture it didn't picture it for sure Nice guy though. Yeah, I mean, going off topic, but I am going to shoot a video for him. I think I'm sure we'll both shoot a video for him in the near future. And if anyone is listening to this, please do go and YouTube Infidelics and you will see all his stuff and you will be able to paint the picture for yourself. But Brian, yeah, if you're listening, mate. We uh, love you. We love you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we, we know, yeah, oh, Brian is there. The, the reason I brought up Brian was so um, I'm telling about my first film now. I've always wanted, I've always wished I could have made a better film with better equipment. Yes. You know? Yes. And yes. so I've, I've been thinking, I mean, I've talked to you about this. The first film was Busking for Berlin. I've been thinking about making a sequel, Busk Life. Now, mm-hmm. the, the topics for the original film was more of an inspirational film. It's like, these are nine people's stories. 
this is what they're doing and this is how they do it and this is my experience from doing it myself and it was all very much like happy and look if you try anything you can do whatever you want kind of thing and and that was the message that this film brought but that was filmed almost it's it's nine years ago now almost 10 years ago a lot's changed yeah at least for buskers Mm. oh so much has changed um getting stopped on the street getting stopped the money the saturation everything has changed yeah i mean covid everyone uses card these days you know i mean berlin is a big cash city but if you're a busker living somewhere else in the world and the rest of the world has become so akin to tapping everything with their card you know to switch you know people just aren't carrying coins around that's true well i ended up actually buying one of those uh, card readers for busking so people can tap that how but did, then you get charged on that as well. So it's still not the same as it was. Yeah. You know? I think people are also still a little reluctant. You yeah. never know, like, could this be a scam system? It's true. Is you someone going to take my card details? Mm-hmm. Am I accidentally tapping 100 euros exactly. instead of 2 euros? I understand completely. And that makes sense. So, look, all that aside. So, yeah, we're thinking, we're thinking about making a sequel. And we want to we wanna talk about all the problems that buskers face now. And um, yeah, hoping that we can put infidelics in this or some other people. That'd be great. And now we use better equipment. Better equipment. Yeah. So, so I've got some questions written down here and this kind of brings me on to the, the next that's question. That's what I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, we, me and Ruben discussed this very briefly before we uh, went live, but the gear that we wish we had. Right. Right. So... For you, I mean... I'm excited for this one. For me recently, you know, this... So I just... Before this session started, I just showed Ruben something I was working on. I was filming this this live video at a concert. And um, look, I set up four cameras. And I was saying how one camera looks way better than the others. And and that this is an issue I have. So generally... Have how many cameras now? Four? Well, well, I've got four Sony cameras with the e-mount you know so yeah. i have more cameras um how many of them uh, shoot 4k two okay two I but mean, split the difference that's not so bad like no that's okay actually well i have another camera over there which shoots 4k as well okay but that's uh, an underwater camera understood um yeah. so it's like gopro quality it's better than gopro quality uh, but okay that's why i bought it because i was so sick of that gopro look mm-hmm. you know just instantly you, you you know, you know the the wide angle lens yep. or the extremely wide yeah, angle yeah. lens. I don't mind a wide angle lens, but um, with the GoPros, it's something I try to shoot, try not to use too much. Only, well, they fixed that. I got recent a uh, couple of years back the Hero Eight, and they fixed that. Now you have a linear mode, yeah. which takes off the fisheye look, and it's great. And I've used it actually for some cinematic stuff and some fashion stuff, and it's really good. But before that. It was like, for me, unusable because it was so wide and so distorted, it would just ruin my shots. I mean, what are your thoughts on underwater housing? I mean, I guess living in what, Berlin and Mm -hmm. the UK, you know, you you don't really have to use underwater gear that often. (laughs) Actually, you say that because so my girlfriend comes from the south of France. Mm-hmm. And I go there regularly, so I have some clients there, and one of the clients is called Nesten. And it's like uh, one of France's uh, main estate agencies. Um, and what they wanted was uh, multiple videos of the area. 
So what I did, I went out, I shot each area, and I went one step above that, and I shot underwater as well of the sea. I droned above, and then the next shot was from the drone. Zoom, zoom down into the sea, into the Mediterranean with the fish. And it's just showing people like from the UK or other countries, wow, look how beautiful the area is, but look at the sea and look how picturesque it is, you know. And for me, I would definitely prefer to have housing for my main camera opposed to using a GoPro. Yeah, sure. The GoPro though absolutely smashed it and it was insane quality and I was super pleased with the results. But yeah, I think even though I won't use an underwater housing, I'm probably going to buy one. Well, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is, do you feel comfortable putting your, you know, four, five, six thousand dollar camera in an underwater housing? I do, yeah. In, I, I, do, I do. I do feel comfortable. But then again, I'm not the kind of person that cares if something breaks. Now, the other day I was on a job and I have a new drone, and a DJI Air 2S, and I smashed it into the roof and the arm broke. And everyone on the set was like, oh my God, you've just <laughs> broke a, a very expensive thing, you know? And do you know what I did? I was like, ah, yeah, it's all right. I used a forklift instead and I wedged myself up to the roof on the camera. I hoisted myself up, you know? And I mean, for me, gear is gear. I mean, you had a forklift on set? Yeah, we had a forklift. <laughs> yeah, it was a big budget. We had a forklift. So I had someone come over, put a pallet on the forklift and hoist me up to the roof yeah. and... Yeah, gear is gear. It comes and goes. I mean, not that it's in this. Not that it's dispensable because it's not because it's expensive. But you know, I trust that the housing works. If it didn't, uh, you know, bygones be bygones. I'm not really too bothered. But I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd obviously rather that it did work. I mean, I guess that's something in a future episode I'd like to get into. So you can go on eBay and yep. you can find underwater housing for any kind of camera yeah and you can find ones which are like two or three hundred pound yep. or euro or us dollars and then you can find ones which are two or three thousand pound us dollars what's the difference what's the difference um well let's we, find out well let's find out <laughs> yeah. all right so right now tell me what you're using now because we talked about what we started with yeah, yeah. And, and let's go back to the topic of dream cameras yeah right? so i went from the sony and my dream camera wasn't like, I want a dream camera. Do you know what, mate? My dream was just to be able to shoot in 4K. Yeah. I I literally had shot um, TV commercials in 1080 at, uh, on, my, on my Sony. And I had shot high-end videos, again, on the Sony. And I'm delivering, I can upscale to 4K. You know, it's not a problem. But I was like, I want that 4K. That was my dream. I went straight to the Fuji. The Fuji X-T3, X-T4, they shot 10-bit color, 400 megabytes per second, 4K60. I was in heaven, you know, and that was only two years ago. And Do you what, know how many bits the, the, the Sony A7S you were previously using? Yeah, eight. Eight. Eight, yeah. And you think there's a huge difference between uh, eight and ten? Honestly, mate, it was like the difference between day and night because when I started coloring, I had no color blotchiness. Uh -huh. I, I got less artifacts. I can't explain to you the difference between 8 and 10. It's basically, do you know what? I'm going to say something and I know I'm going to get corrected. I don't know the numbers, but I know it's between something like 10 million uh, colors or whatever compared to 60 million. 
or something it's something crazy anyway it's tens of millions of difference between the information and when i color graded 10 bit for the first time i just remember like trying to break the image on purpose and i couldn't now i used fuji for a long time and i've made in my opinion some of my best films on that and you know people say you don't need good equipment to make good stuff and that's true but i've noticed a huge improvement in my videos since i've had better equipment my dream camera was always a black magic now the reason i always wanted to go for black magic was because it always seemed like the closest colors to an ari and there was no way i could afford an ari now red is amazing and probably one day i'll switch to red but black magic was affordable and i can go canon c70 i can go sony a7s3 but the black magic has something about it so right now i'm using a black magic cinema uh, pocket cinema camera 6k i didn't go for the pro because i noticed there is a color shift in the nd filters the built-in nds and i don't need them um i have a matte box you know and i use um four by uh, I, I use the filters in the front so yeah, the, I mean, the cinema camera that I'm using now is mind-blowing. I am so insanely impressed, and my clients are always like, wow, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's what I'm using now, and it's been absolutely a crazy journey to get to this point. I was at one point going to sell everything I had. I was going to sell my Fuji. I was going to sell my gimbal. I was going to sell my drone just to get a black magic, but I didn't. I worked harder. And I've now, I've got the drone still. Even though it's broken, I'll get it fixed this week. I've got the GoPro. I've got the X-T4. And I've got the Blackmagic. And that was, I, I held out for a long time. And I sacrificed. And I worked harder. And I persevered. And it was worth it. And if anyone who's listening is contemplating on selling something to go cinema camera, I think it's always a good idea to keep another camera just for photos or little bits and bobs, run and gun, all this stuff. Because cinema cameras... They're not just you pick it up and shoot. No, it's, you have to build a rig. You have to plan your shoots. You have to be more organized in every shot it, because it's not as simple as point and shoot. And that is something that has taken me a long time to learn recently for sure. Yeah. Um, so how often are you picking up your Fuji versus the Blackmagic? I basically don't use a Fuji that much anymore. So it's just B-roll. Yeah. Uh, the, the Fuji is like i said the quality stands up to black magic all day every day sometimes it, it's even better not in terms of the obviously there's a difference in 4k and 6k and so that shoots in raw as well uh no the fuji doesn't it's just log but the 400 wow. megabytes 10 bit is great the black magic however is 12 bit <laughs> so this is where things start getting insane i can't break the image it shoots prores 422 prores hq but then Blackmagic Raw, and it's just, it, it's absolutely insane, you know, and I could not ask for a better camera. Right now in my career, I could use better cameras, but I'm using what I'm comfortable paying for in my price range, and I'm doing insane things with these cameras. And I always thought I need, I need the best cinema camera to make that, but I don't. I could make it with the Sony. I could make it with the Fuji. I'm very fortunate to be able to have a Blackmagic, and I will always make it work. So as you know, I'm using the the, the Sony. 
Yes. Right. So I'm, uh, I've got the A7C is yeah. my main mm-hmm. camera. Before that, I had the A7 and the A6300, although I actually use the A6300 more than I use the A7. Oh, why is that? Because the A7, the original A7, doesn't do 4K. Oh, wow. So the 6300 actually came out after the A7. Uh-huh. So I guess the 6300, 6... I think they were originally... There was a 6100. Yep. I'm not sure if there's a 200. There's a 6300, then there's a 400, then okay. a 500. Mm-hmm. I think they even have a 6... The 600, though, yeah. 6600. But the... The 6000 and I think the 6100 were in a different model category. Okay. So they didn't shoot 4K. The 6000 okay. and I think the 6100. I don't think there is a 6200. And then they just came out with the 6300. Yeah. Cameras, they, they put a lot of numbers at the ends of them, especially Sony. Sony have a lot of extra numbers. Yeah. But the... Um, you seem to be a little bit of a Sony fanboy, right? Yeah, I am. I, <laughs> I, I did briefly used to work for Sony, but I don't, you know, get all really crazy about them because I work for them. I okay. get all crazy about them because, well, they're actually, for me, they're small. I mean, full frame is great as well. Yes, but the size of these cameras... Um, they are very compact. I'll, I'll compact. give you that. Um, my first gimbal... I, I had a, um, this one is a Xeon Crane. Plus. I couldn't use that because I'm using the Ronin uh, S right now. And yeah, I, I have one this size as well. The a, a Feutech A2000, I think it is. No, that's a, um, that's a different brand. Yeah, no, but I'm saying like the size wise. Yeah, the size Similar wise. size. So I've got the Feutech as well, right? Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't. It would just work with the uh, the A7 and the yep. A6300, but if I put on a bigger lens, like for example, the lens that yep. I've got on now, I've got on a bigger 16 millimeter, 16 millimeter lens. With my old uh, Feutech, yeah, it 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 was uh, too heavy. That's um, crazy. But it worked for a budget um, gimbal. Yeah, the Feutech, it worked, and and that was. You know, we, we go back to talking about what, what we've got to use, what we've got our budget for. And um, I actually really like the Feutech, other than, other than the fact that it only supported a certain weight. But I mean, for- you've not seen any of my cameras or my gimbal or anything yet, right? No. I mean- so we will go to mine at some point and you can try my stuff. Until then, I can't ask you, what do you think or how do you feel about the differences? But we will have to do that next time because you are used to one system. Yeah, exactly. You are used to one system. And right now, for those of you who can't see, I am holding um, Carl's gimbal and his uh, camera in my hand. And I will tell you now, the difference is day and night in terms of how easy it is to hold this thing. For me, my back will be in, you know, so much pain after six hours of work with my gimbal and my camera and my setup but this thing i can use one arm and i know the quality is going to be absolutely incredible so i mean yeah everyone has different preferences i use the big one because i go manual so i'm using manual focus i have the um you know the gimbal uh focus wheel Uh so i can focus manually 
from the gimbal and it's all automatic i have the um the wireless focus it's great and i can put my heavy cameras on my gimbal but yeah you have lighter cameras and the sony's are great for being compact so you can use these gimbals and it's so good well i guess you know this all goes back to the start of it all depends on what kind of filmmaking you want to do it's true you know what budget you have sometimes if if you're doing guerrilla filmmaking all the time and i think a lot of you listening are because that's how we all start out as filmmakers you're right completely because when we are working with artists with no budget yep um you know whether that be a musician or maybe a company that's starting out or maybe just a bunch of actors that want to make their first film. A lot of people, sadly, look, we're, we're working with nothing here. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we want to show you. We want to show you how to work with nothing because that's all well, where that's we started. That's what I'm excited from. for because you and me both know, like, how do we make videos that look Hollywood with the limited gear we have, you know? And we've, I think we've mastered that craft by now to a degree to the best of our ability movie masters movie masters there we go it's in the name right and i guess that brings me back to the question then i've told you about my dream camera and i have that now and it's taken me years to get that and it might not be the most expensive camera i think my rig i spent about three thousand euros on it to a lot of people that might be a lot of money and to some people it might be not much it depends on your lifestyle so tell me about your dream camera. Do you have it now or are you still working toward that? Look, I know what... This has almost everything I want in a dream camera. Okay. But it's good because I've got the gimbal, right? Okay. Now, one thing about the uh, the A7C, which is the camera I'm using here, is it has gyroscopic data stabilization. Um, now, this stabilization is is kind of next level. Um, kind of similar as maybe what the GoPro is using. Which is insane. Which is insane. Although, and this is my biggest but, you know, this is what I don't like, that the outcome of the footage when you bring the um, stabilized yep. gyroscopic information into your editing yes. system, it then needs to analyze that footage and then render... And then give you the file. Now, if we could have the stabilization that is in the new GoPro 8 and above. In the camera. In the camera itself. Wow, that would be insane. Yeah, no need for, you know, because yes, we don't need the gimbal anymore with the the data gyroscopic information. But it still needs to render. It still needs to do it outside of camera. You need to do it when you get back home. You know, it's a it's a it's a time consuming process, and this kind of goes back to where we where we started talking about tapes versus SD cards. Mm-hmm. Now, when I started, I had to watch. Okay, all yeah. The footage. So it's another whole. It's basically like a master tape. You've got to hold this rendering process. Yeah, would be the equivalent of you waiting for the whole thing to play out it's, and yeah. exactly. So well, that depends though whether it's an hour long documentary in one shot or if it's a music video and you've got a couple of clips. That well, exactly. Yeah. Um, it all it all depends on what you're doing with the footage. Yes, I do have this one long video which I'm analyzing the entire 45 minutes. I mean, we, of. you started just before this, right? Yeah, and uh, I was about two hours left still. <laughs> still <going. laughs> yeah. And I've got I've got the top of the range M1 MacBook Pro. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's not slow computers here. Um, although I've got to say, when I started editing, oh, 
<laughs> don't even talk to me about <laughs> honestly mate I, I can I can go on about this proxy workflow for years so this is ideal for you right now but if you could have any camera right now do you think you would change what you have would you go is full frame essential is my first question right you are currently working 8-bit I think or am I wrong I can't remember I think it might be 8-bit I think we looked this up yeah yeah you don't know the difference yet so i mean for you would it be have you i don't know maybe you have edited 10 bit i don't work with a lot of many most of the stuff i edit i is stuff i've filmed okay so you don't know whether you need 10 bit then or not i guess it no. would be the main thing so do you have like would you be opposed to moving to something like like myself i used a fuji xt4 would you you know, be open to using uh, an APS-C sensor with a higher frame rate on, on 4K and... Well, I mean, still at the end of the day, for all the people that... I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things today. Yep. But for someone that's starting out, maybe they don't know about all these different technical things. Technical All these technical and, terms yeah. and the, the bits. And I mean, I'll, I'll generally say to you, you can use a camera from 10 years ago. And if you've got a good lens and good lighting you know and because how important the, is lighting let's talk oh, about i would say the quick. most important thing of anything for how long did it take you to realize how important lighting was <sighs> a couple of years yeah <laughs> i think i only realized it about three years ago that how how important lighting was and since then i think i've grown 10 times the cinematographer i am compared to what i was because of lighting because we can talk about having the best camera and having the best bit rate and having 4k yep but if you don't have the settings right when you're filming yep you know all those settings are just to allow us to have better control over our footage in post-production it's true yet if we had done these things correct the first time around we wouldn't need that much data or that information to and hack a lot at. of people go oh do you know what well, i'll just fix it in post but you the can't the, the better you get at cinematography and videography, the more you realize getting it perfect on set is the key, and doing as little as possible in post is even better. Is, is is the is the answer to not ruining your footage. Yeah. Now, ten bit or on the Blackmagic twelve bit gives you so much more flexibility. If you're lucky enough to get a red and you've got sixteen bit, then you know you, you basically you, you're completely. You know, you do whatever you want, but yeah, you're right. Eight bit is absolutely plenty, unless you're doing a film or something stylistic like a music video, where you really need to push the colors crazily, like a Blade Runner look. Yeah, that's. I think that's the only time you might encounter an issue or struggle a little bit more. Not that it would be impossible, because it's completely possible. I've done it, but that's. I think when you would be like, oh. I, I wish I could push that a bit more, but I'm starting to get artifacts or, you know. So do you think you would like to change to a camera with more or do you think... I mean, obviously, you know, I would like a, a higher bitrate camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would... We would all like a, a Red Epic or an Aria. Of course. Um, Alexa or, Mini or whatever, yeah. Or an, uh, yeah. Alexa Mini, yes. Mm-hmm. Ray Komodo 6K, I mean, that's that's cool as well. But, you know, like, so 
I, I really want to get you on, on, on my gear and I'm, I'm going to try your gear out. We should go out for the day one day and swap gear. And I mean, my rig is big. You've seen that. Yeah. And it it's practical. And I feel whatever I point my rig at, it looks great. But that comes with many cons and drawbacks. It hurts your back. You have to plan things. It's not stabilized. There's no water focus. It's pure cinema. And, then and that's the difference. Pros and cons of having a cinema camera, right? Um, I would say like the biggest pro is you look like a pro, right? And do you know what? Before you continue, <laughs> I want to stop you there because I went on a job recently. And because I had a cinema camera, they decided that they wanted more and they upped their budget. And then off the back of that came more work just because I looked legit. Yeah. And looking legit on set, and I'm sorry to say this, but it counts for so much. And I've realized that firsthand. I turn up and people go, oh, wow, look at that camera. What are you doing? You must be good at your job. And it's so crazy how perception can change things and it can land you more jobs. As crazy as it sounds, it's true. Then there's the other thing working against us, which I want to go into, yeah. is... Um, Say you're doing guerrilla filmmaking, mm-hmm. you know, and you've got this pro camera. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're, you're filming in a place where you maybe shouldn't be filming. Yeah. Except now everyone knows you're filming. Because you've got a giant ass <laughs> camera. <laughs> you've got a giant ass camera. Yeah. And you've got an easy rig strapped to you, a big metal rod over your head and a string coming down. And because uh, you try not to break your back, of course, you can't run away. No. <laughs> you're strapped. <laughs> And, and then this is the issue. You, you're trying to do something a bit indiscreet. Maybe you're trying to film a location yeah. that you don't have proper permission to and you stick out like a... Well, you know? this again is why I feel it's important to always have a B-cam. And that's why I kept the X-T4, which is very small and looks like a little analog camera, but it's mighty and powerful. Like I said, an A7S three would be a great mm. equivalent as well. Or, or even your A7C absolutely incredible cameras you know but the cinema camera yeah definitely has its setbacks and that's why i say controlled environments for that it depends on your style of filmmaking before i bought this a7c i i was really in a bit of a pinch about whether i should buy the uh, panasonic gh6 now when you talk about dream cameras i mean specs wise it's great it is on paper that camera i I haven't used it yet so i can't say what do you think of the gh5 because for me, it was between the GH5 and the Fuji. I went for Fuji for a reason, but I'd love to know what your thoughts are on the GH5 because this camera was like a statement. You know, you see, I've seen so many videos shot on the GH5 that look insane. My music video was shot on that. Well, for me, the the, the biggest um, thing that the, the GH series has going for it yep. that I've read, I mean, once again, I haven't experienced this firsthand, it's- is the stabilization, yeah, right? And this is kind of what I was talking about when you say dream camera. What you know, if I could have this Sony A seven C, with a GoPro stabilization, yep. that's my dream camera. Oh, and six at least sixty frames per second, four mm-hmm. K. Um, and while we're talking about stabilization, I'd like to say for anyone who doesn't know, Blackmagic has just come up with an update. 7.9 which now allows us to take the gyroscopic data and da vinci being obviously black magic and incredible 
has now implemented it and Into da Vinci. Yeah. Oh. So I can shoot without a gimbal and I've got the most high end cinematic look with pure stabilization, no warping, and it is the most insane thing I've ever seen. So if anyone's wondering whether they should or not and stabilization is throwing you off, just do it. Yeah, so I just wanted to interrupt and say, well, and no, say I mean, that. <laughs> just do it. Isn't that a great fucking... Yeah, just do it. Just get it Just done. do it. Just like, do it, man. You know, but I think this comes down to all filmmaking. You can uh, say all you want that you, you want to be a filmmaker, but until you've done it, yeah, you know, so for those listening, you know, who wants to make a film, who wants to make a film? <laughs> 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 Look, just do it. Even even if your idea isn't, if you don't think it's that good, maybe even you don't. Even if you've got a Nokia brick, uh, well, it has to have a camera, of course. Yeah. Whatever it is, just do it. I used to take photos on a, um, a security camera. So I lived above this computer shop and they used to throw out all their junk okay. behind the shop. And I was going through the bins one day. I, I can't remember why. It's a long time ago. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> and I found this old security camera. Okay. And the, the output it had was like RCA. Right? Oh, wow. Okay. And I had an RCA input on my, my desktop computer, actually, yeah. from a video card. And I and I put in this security, black and white security camera, right? But it just had this like great lens on it, and I used to, <laughs> I did my first photography with the security camera that I found. Uh, yeah, wow. In in some dump well, shop at the back. You know what? It's funny you say that because I have a similar story. Do you remember the PS2? Obviously, yeah. you do. That's not the question. Well, it was a question, but anyway, <laughs> the question was: Do you remember the iToy? I never. I never you know what it, it is. Right? I know what it is. Yeah. Right. So, I had the eye toy, and me and my friend. If any, if Brandon, if you're listening, you know what I'm talking about, buddy. His name is Brandon Ryan. I'm gonna name and shame you, right? So, me and Brandon used to make short films, and we would like dress up in like uh, we'd do full makeup. We'd we'd like put on like we'd basically make small horror films in my living room. And we must like, and we must have been quite young. But what we would do was do makeup. We, we used to dress up like what kind, alien what were you and predator using to, to film this kind of stuff. Well, that's what we're going to get to. So we used to dress up like alien and predator at the time. And what we did, mate, was we used to use we so we'd use the house as a setting, you know, like scream esque, yeah, you know, um, and basically the eye toy for the PS2 was the video camera. That's all we had. Because at the time, we had crap phones And so did, did this thing record into the PS2? Yeah, it recorded into the PS2. And it was the best thing ever. Or was it the PS3? It might have been the PS3, actually. Uh, they had a similar thing, not the iToy, but something else. And it was great. And we recorded everything on that. And we would move the PlayStation from room to room with this camera, recording different shots and angles, and use it as a handheld. And you know what? It was difficult, but we had the best movies to look back on ever. And it was great. And again, that is, don't be limited by what you have. Just do. Just do it. Just do it, man. (laughs) You know. Nike has got nothing on us. <laughs> <laughs> do you think this is a trademark? Can we say this? Just do it. Just do it. Movie makers, just do just it. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we're, and also, 
No. I was going to say, don't break copyright. This isn't. There's a whole other. Uh, no, I mean, that's not an infringement of anything. That's just I mean, speaking. Speaking. Know, there's no visual. It's fine. That's true. The i the iToy did come out on PS2. Yeah. What the, was the PS3 version? Do you know? I think it did work on um, PS3, but let me. Because PS3 had the I think the ability to record. Because I just remember the PS2 actually didn't have a menu, but the PlayStation 3 was the first one to have a menu, right? So yeah, that's similar to WordCamp for the PlayStation 3. Yeah, so the PlayStation I. That's it. Yeah, the PSI. The PSI. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, that's I know what, the iToy. Yeah, that's what we had, and we used to make so many videos on that. It was great. Uh, it, it was fantastic. And while we're talking about stabilization, I'd love to get into the topic of gimbals, because this is a big thing within the industry. A lot of filmmakers, and I felt the same, feel. If I have a gimbal, I'll be a better filmmaker. Everything will be stable and my footage will just be more cinematic. The problem I had was, well, I used the gimbal for everything at the start. And it was like, I need a gimbal to be cinematic. Uh And the gimbal comes everywhere with me. Uh, How do you feel about that? And and I'd I'd like to tell you then after how I am now with the whole gimbal thing. Well, the gimbal was... To me personally, it was a game changer. Yeah. Um, Agreed completely. And I, I mean, next level. The the cameras up until the A7C yep. didn't have any inboard stabilization. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you want to use this, the gyroscopic stabilization in the A7C, yep. you need to have the digital stabilization turned off. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You can't have both on at the same time. Wow. So when I'm filming, I either get one or the other. Yeah. Uh, although I got to say the the stabilization that's in the the seven C, isn't that good? Oh wow. Okay. No. So it's nothing like the GH fives. No, no, seen. nothing like that. No. Okay. Um, I thought it would be like so when I moved from so the A six three hundred yeah and the A seven yeah. don't have any stabilization. Okay. Right. And then when I thought when I was moving to this, which has that thing yeah. called the five axis stabilization, mm-hmm. which is what all the cameras you know claim to have. I was disappointed. Um, other than the, the the gyroscopic, that blew my mind. It's great, but, but right? it take. I mean, it's next level great. Um, it's basically like throw your gimbal out the window and never use it again. Sometimes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right. Other than the the time it takes to to render to that. Render, yeah. I mean, if you're doing a couple of seconds, yeah, it's it's fine. It doesn't take very For long. Sure. I'm, I'm. Or a, you might have a, 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 a you might have shot handheld and be like, Do you know what, that one particular frame. I want that to be smooth. Yeah. I want that to be like the camera doesn't exist. And it's like, bang, game changer. You have the option. You don't get the warp in. It's perfect. There is some downsides yeah. with gimbals, though, right? So you can have your... I've, I've got my gimbal in, in my hands in front of me. And so you've got it on and you're walking along. Yeah. And then sometimes you might just... Move and it's slow, and it it or 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 sometimes it goes and like goes up or down or yeah. left or right or it takes a lot of practice and a lot of time. You don't just buy a gimbal, put your camera on, then all of a sudden you know you're a filmmaker. You need to learn how to walk with the gimbal. The crab walk, right? The crab walk, yes. How long did it take you to realize that just using the gimbal doesn't solve all your problems, but you had to also learn how to be the gimbal. Well, I didn't. You know. I didn't go straight from a digital gimbal or electronic gimbal, whatever you want to call it, okay. 
I started off with DIY gimbals. So oh wow! My probably my first four gimbals I had, I built completely myself from scratch. Oh, that's great! Yeah, um, I went on YouTube and. <laughs> oh, what did you make them out of? Uh, PVC pipe. Okay, can, can you give me like a uh, an example of how this gimbal worked? You know, it weights on one end like they did in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. So oh. uh, I made several different models of them. The ones that worked the best were weighted systems. The other ones were more as. Look, I. I will say there is also some downsides to having light cameras. Yeah. So the lighter the camera, the more it's going to shake. Yeah, you get micro jitters, right? Yeah. Constantly. You know, yeah. so w- that's probably one benefit of having these big cinema cameras. And this is why when I use my cinema camera, I go handheld because it's so weighty. It has that very organic handheld feel and it doesn't necessarily need a gimbal. And the only reason I would use a gimbal is if I want to give the viewer the perception that the camera doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think I've become more aware that gimbal work is more intentional to make sure the camera doesn't exist. And it's stylistic as well and not to use it for everything. And I think it's so easy to use gimbal for so much, right? Yeah, because you could use a gimbal as a replacement dolly almost it's these true. days you know yeah and so with some gimbal and even some added gyroscopic data stabilization then you are perfect then yeah you, you you don't need a dolly anymore you don't need train tracks down your set you can do everything like run and gun i mean in a way the gimbal is just as much as a step in the future as as what we've got with drones yeah without a doubt you know and do you remember when we met? Well, drones weren't a thing. No. And I remember the other day, well, I mean, maybe we shouldn't talk about what we did because it might be slightly illegal. <laughs> but, <laughs> but let's just say we got the shot, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, drones are incredible. And the stuff that we can capture is insane. I mean, like I said, I crashed my drone last week. So I don't have one for the next week or two, but I will fix that. But how incredible is it to have a drone at our disposal, a gimbal at our disposal, and cameras that shoot in 4K on a very small budget, you can get all of these things. Mm. I've even used, now I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've used my drone as an extra camera. Yes, So I because it it's basically like a gimbal, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I used it at a wedding. Actually, I needed a really wide angle shot of the venue. It was in a very tight space. Um, the The camera on this drone is is pretty good. It's got a like a f two point eight. Wow, you know, yeah, um, nice, like good for low light, good nice yep. wide angle, um, and just qu- clean, crisp, clear four K quality. And I just set it up. I didn't turn on the engines yeah and i hit record and um no i used it for a, an hour that's great as, as an additional camera and when you're not flying the um the propellers you'll get a lot longer battery life as a camera yeah than as a drone it's true because generally drones you know up until a couple of years ago you know, used to get eight to ten well, minutes let me tell you something about this whole drone thing before i had a drone now i remember getting my first drone which was the mavic mini just just the mavic mini I remember shooting, I, I, I sent it up in France and my mind was so blown, I could not believe it. 
I was like, wow, this is, I, I, I felt like I'm going to be the best filmmaker that ever existed <laughs> you know, when I looked at this footage. You know, but the thing was, before I had that, drones, for me, I couldn't afford one and all that. So do you know what I was using before this whole Mavic, thing, Mavic you know, era came mm. about? I would send up a camera, a pretty crap camera, on a kite. That's what I was doing. Wow. If I wanted establishing shots of anything, I would bring a kite with me and I would fly the kite and sellotape my camera to the kite. Not a DSLR, but more of like an action cam to this kite. And I'd send it up and I'd stabilize it in post. And that was my fix. These drones have come a long way. I was at the Tempelhofer airport in Berlin not long ago. And I realized that you can, you know, track people when they're doing their drone work. And I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. You know, I've got this girl going down the runway at like 25 miles an hour on a scooter or kilometers, wherever it was. And the drone is tracking everything. And I'm doing nothing. I don't have to do anything. I'm like, okay, I could never get this ever. But then recently I shot for uh, uh, Artlist.io. Yeah. And I was doing drone work. And they required full manual. And I had to go back to shooting old school. And I don't know how many times I got in trouble on set for not getting the shot centered. And I was relying on the drone, but they wanted... Whatever the the shoot was, I can't remember what they wanted me to shoot in, but it disabled the tracking. So I couldn't get centered. And it just reminded me like how far drones have come and how much little work we now need to do to get the shots. It's incredible. I mean, before that, you you were on a giant crane. Or a helicopter. Or a helicopter. Right? You know, and then helicopter, I mean, brings in... How much does that cost? I mean, a lot of money, but then you've also got to think of the impact that it's going to have on the shot. Yeah. I mean, when you fly a drone above your head, you can feel the wind, right? But put a helicopter above your head and, you know... Well, your head might fall off if you get too close. (laughs) Right? so it's crazy difference but um if you had to pick four items that were right. essential yeah. let's let's finish with this okay right essential to your filmmaking kit oh right. okay so i'll, I'll start okay my drone obviously right right 100 i mean number one before we go to the drone i say my camera so you've got to have one main camera yeah for me it's my a7c Right, that's right. My number one thing in my kit. If I had to pick four things, that, a gimbal, a drone, and then probably what we're using to record this. The Zoom audio. A Zoom audio. I've got. We're using the H6. Yeah. Um, which has got four channels with inputs, and then it's got a XY microphone pattern. They record as a separate channel. It says it's six inputs. Really, it's four. And can you remind me how much one of these would cost? The H6. I think I paid around 580 Australian dollars. Okay. So maybe about like 350 pound or something. Okay. That's not so like close to 400 euros, right? Three to 400 euros, three to 400 pounds. Second hand, much cheaper, I'm guessing. Yeah. If you can find them second hand. Okay. I mean, people, you'll find lots of like certain items you just won't find second hand. Yeah. People just don't want to sell them because Mm -hmm. they're just too good of equipment. Like this, uh, this Bose speaker I have here. Yeah. You don't you, you don't, don't find, find them it. online. Yeah. Um, 
Although I've got, I've got a H1. So I started, when I first started doing audio recording, I had H1 for probably 10 years. This has been a great little um, audio recorder. One, because it fits in my pocket. And that, that's, that's most importantly. It runs on one AA battery. Yeah. Fits in my pocket. And you can put an external microphone. It, it is only a, 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 a smaller so- socket. Um, but you know, I, I've, I've got so many years use out of this. So your audio is like super important to you. So wait, so your first was the drone. All right. Second was your A7C. Well, look, first I'd have to say it's the camera because you okay. need a camera first. And that's A7C, yeah? A7C. Oh, all your cameras. Right. Any, like any main camera you got, right. whether it's your Blackmagic, yep. you know, or your Nikon or a Canon 5D or a 1D, okay. whatever you're using, you, you have, you've got one main camera, my drone, my gimbal, and then an audio recorder. Okay. Um, those would be if I had to pick four things, that'd be in my my kit. Mm. What about you? Camera wise, it's really difficult because the XT4 is insane, and when I shoot the Blackmagic at six K B raw, now B raw, any raw footage is always typically noisy, noisier than ProRes or H two six four six five, and the difference is though obviously with the black magic it looks cinema the trade-off for me is great photos and it's the hybrid camera it's the perfect all-around hybrid camera versus the cinema camera i think i'd have to go with the black magic because i prefer that cinema look and i love to show up on set with a full cinema rig you know so that would be my first would be the black magic for sure the second thing I don't use my drone that much, but it's very important for me to have because when I get the option to use it, it's it's great to use. And I it really enhances my whole like my whole storyline just to have them at super crazy establishing shots. And sometimes it might not be establishing shot, but I might want to do a dolly shot indoors, uh, you know, like that crane kind of look yeah. indoors. As long as the roof is high enough and the light is good, it looks fantastic. So that's number two. Thirdly, uh, is the computer. Oh, yeah. Okay. You forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about right. that. Well, yeah, you need now, one to edit with. Yeah. Ideally, 32 gigs. I only have 16 gigs, but I am editing on the same as you 16 gigs Mac M1. And for me, that has been absolutely insane. I am editing 6k footage b-raw on this and i have not once had my computer even stutter or crash it's great and four it's it's a trade-off between gimbal or audio i don't use gimbal enough to say that i would use gimbal uh i probably go for audio now for audio i do need what you have the zoom uh, what, H6 is it? This is the H6. Yeah, um, I'm using uh, lavalier mics, so I'm using like Rode Go, mm-hmm. Wireless Go, uh, which is great. I use overheads sometimes. But yeah, that would be my essentials. I mean, we didn't even cover lens essentials. We didn't even cover you, lighting. Or lighting, right. So let's say this is the last question. You can only choose one lens, okay, and one light. Well, I mean, look, the one lens, 
I just have to say 50 millimeter, you know. <laughs> I'll be yeah. that guy. Um, so one lens is what? The, fif- the 50. Yeah, and, 50, 1.8, right? And I still, I still say to this day, I would take the Canon 50 millimeter F1.8 over the Sony 50 millimeter. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Have you used the Sigma 1835 yet? No. 1.8. <laughs> no. Well, we'll use that, and then and then and then we we'll talk, and then we'll talk because that would be mine for for sure. And you know, that's I mean, great. look, there are better lenses. There's just something about that that fifty mil that I I like the way it holds. I like the way it focuses. I like the like yeah. in my hand. Um, I like the. I feel like I've got a lot of control over it. Um, yeah. When I use the other lenses, I just I I don't I don't know what it is about the the Canon fifty mil. Or about the Canon, actually, I prefer Canon lenses. Uh-huh. I will say that full stop. I'm I'm a Canon lenser. <laughs> I'm, <a> Canon, <laughs> I'm a Canon lens guy. Um, <laughs> Canon lenser <laughs> in my. But I'm a. I like Sony. I like the look of Sony. I think it looks sexy. I yeah. want to hold it. I want to stroke it. I want to be like I own this. Um, hi. Uh, hi. <laughs> I want to. I want to swipe right on on, so, <laughs> on your lid. <laughs> So um, in my hand here, what is that? It's a obviously it's a light. Obviously it's a light. So I've got a light in my hand. Um, uh, you know, wow, color temperature. Color what, temperature. What's the brand? Oh, what's the brand? It's eBay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> LED light on eBay. Okay. Um, built-in battery. Yeah. Yeah. Let me have a look at this. Oh, this is great. Niwa. Okay, great. I've got Niwa. All right. Yeah. Right. That's one hundred Ooh, what? Yeah, it's good. But, so I'm at the moment. I'm holding a light in my hand. How many inches do you think that is? Like, size wise, like uh, at, this 10, is probably nine? no. This is uh, this is probably seven. Yeah, actually, you're probably right. Yeah, it's about as big as my monitor, my big monitor. I'd say that, that's a crazy light. So, is this your choice? Look, it fits, and and I think. This is another thing that's important when um, having a a gear setup or yep. a camera. It's also got to be compact. It's also got to be, like having a good camera bag. Mm-hmm. I think is just as important as the gear. Really is. Yeah, but let me ask you: if you could have any light for your set, what would it be? I'll be honest with you. I never looked into it. Okay. I know. Ne- um, I was always going with what was what was available. What was available? Yep. What was in my price range? Yeah, of course. And then shaping the light you have and working with that. I'll tell you what I want. I don't know the names or the brands of them, but yeah. those um, almost lightsaber esque. Yeah, I mean, you've you know. got the Godox light, um, uh, the, the Godox light tubes. You have the ap- uh, is it aperture? No. Uh, What's it called? I can't think. But yeah. Because anyone that's making music videos, especially pop music videos, we all know they are filled with... Which is what I do. So I have a lot of... uh, I'll show you when you come to my house. I have a lot of lights that I don't even use half of. I have two Aperture MCs. These lights are this big. And for anyone who can't see, it's basically three inches I don't know how big they are, but they're very tiny rectangle lights. And I paid £250 
for two. <laughs> That's so expensive. I have like three LED, 660 LED lights, and they're only 45 watts each, 45 watts each uh, RGB. And then I have one Godox SL60W. The Godox has been my best friend. It's a 60 watt. What one of those cost? Uh, the Godox is cheap. I can get, so recently I got one second hand and I got the Godox with a, uh, a parabolic soft box with a grid on it, which is crazy for cinematic lighting. Now, are these lights, they have batteries in them? No, no. this one doesn't. Okay. Um, and I paid, I think, 150 for that kit, which is super cheap. Now, I have a second one in Ireland, which I don't have here in Berlin, and I bought it new. And the light itself was about 120 euros. And then the softbox was maybe, softbox maybe 60. Um, it's, it's, I'd say 200 euros and you've got the whole kit. And it's great. It's a great investment. But for me, personally, I use all these lights to make, you know, what I need to make. But I would love, uh, probably, uh, Aperture has a new brand called, uh, what's it called? It's Aperture's little brother, basically. They've made a new one. And they have all these great lights and they're a fraction of the cost. And Small Rig have also brought out all their new lights. And you can get a 300 watt light for like 250 euros, which is insane. You would not get this in the past. And I've realized why I need the brightness of light when I'm combating daylight. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to use an ND, because basically... I don't want to use an ND uh, film on a window to, to, to bring down the light of the window. I will have to use a brighter light. So I'll expose outside and use a much brighter light inside and expose my camera accordingly. And this is why I've really wanted the brighter light to recreate sunlight for windows, to recreate moonlight. Um, just when I'm battling the, you know, the, the, um, the, the natural conditions of outside. So I think... For me, it would be like a 300 watt kind of light overall. And then yeah. two little tiny lights that I can place anywhere. I mean, what's the biggest wattage lights that you can get in uh, a nice portable, you know? So, for example, I don't know what this is. Uh, okay, it's 15 watts. Yeah, a portable. You know. I mean, what do you class as portable? So, I bring all my kit with me by myself. And I, I could I could work up to probably twelve hundred watts, which would be the aperture twelve hundred D. It's expensive, but I could probably use that without having to like have a second person help me carry my light. But you you know, so yeah, twelve hundred D, and that is that's crazy bright. Recently, I used six Ari uh, two thousand watt each lights. And they were insane, but they were all on their individual stands and they were heavy as shit. And there is no way they are portable <laughs> in any chance. They are not portable, but they were great. They looked amazing. But yeah, I think for me, 300 watt is like great. Even 600 watt, even better. And they're super portable. And I'd highly recommend if you invest into something, go for a 600. If you don't have the money, go for the 60 and you'll still get an incredible result. I still use it every single day in all of my shoots. I mean, you know, some lights are better than no lights, right? <laughs> they are. They really are. Yeah, you know, I don't look at all this. Yeah, um, 
was it IRE number uh, 96 plus and all that. I'm not very technical and I'm not the best. I don't claim to be the best cinematographer in the world. I don't claim to know everything. But I do know from my eye and what I perceive to be good is Godox is one of the cheapest and the best lights that I've worked with. I've worked with Ari and I can't personally see the difference. Now, I know a lot of people will be listening to this and be like, oh my God, Ruben, I'll show you all the differences. They might hate, but... Let's be honest, on a budget, Godox, man, they answer all the problems. Let's, you know. I mean, when you're making a music video, yeah, man. how many times, and I, I, I'm a culprit of this, I okay. was, uh, oh, Berlin has a lot of really great buildings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, and so I find myself, as I'm walking around Berlin, and I'll be in certain train stations. Maybe I'll be in certain undercover areas. Right. And they'll have this... I wouldn't call it natural lighting because when I sometimes say thing, the word natural lighting, yeah. I mean lighting that I haven't set up. No, yeah, but they've got this crazy tube light for the yeah, recent lights. exactly. They've got colored like, lights. You walk into a certain train station you're like, oh, or wow, a building wow, and you're wow, like, wow. oh, yeah. I've got to shoot a music video here. Yeah, man. And you're like, mental note, right? Location. Yeah, 100%. Right? Um. So when you're making music videos, because this yeah. for me is a huge thing. So the, yeah, the other day I got to film this band that I showed you earlier, and they were playing uh, near Messy Nord, yeah. right, which is this bus station in the middle of nowhere in Berlin. Anyway, they have this old 60s, 70s futuristic, okay. what's brutal, brutalist architecture, and, and like kind of like a Clockwork Orange. Right. If you've watched... I mean, Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're talking about one of the best filmmakers of all time here, of Stanley Kubrick. Um, it, for anyone that hasn't seen a Clockwork Orange, look if, you, if you're watching, if you're listening to a podcast about filmmaking and you and you don't know who Stanley Kubrick is, well, I just, suggest just give it a search, and <laughs> you will be like mind blown. Yeah, for sure. Look up a 2001: A Space Odyssey. I mean, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm sure many people would agree the same thing. But the the the, the point being is, I, I go to this shoot, and on the way there, I get out this train station, and at the train station, there is this amazing lighting, and I immediately get out my phone, and a friend of mine who wanted to make a music video clip, I I, I take like a shot from my phone, and I say, dude, the lighting here, like this, we don't even need lighting. You yeah. know, we can shoot the music video here, and yeah. we don't need lighting, and that's what I look for a lot, actually, when I do my shoots. I look for lighting that's already set up. Agreed. I, I, I'm totally on board with that, and I completely agree. Um, I mean, yeah, I obviously, yes, having your own lighting is better. Natural lighting is great. <laughs> now, I recently did a music video, a couple of music videos, and it was funny because basically the guy said, you know, I'll show you the music video after, and he said, I want to make a music video, and the only resource I have is a basement, so we have no natural lighting. Mm-hmm. it's all so I'm like right we're gonna have to make it and it's so funny right because he, we basically opened the scene I might have sent it to you already with no. him in an elevator yeah and it's like the light is flickering like a faulty bulb and I used one aperture MC in there on faulty bulb setting and then I also used uh, a Neewa 660 RGB light on the outside for the red colour and I had to tape up 
all the lights inside the elevator so we could control the lights. The funny thing was, the the elevator got called up, so he stepped out. <laughs> the elevator got called up for someone else. This poor soul has stepped into this elevator with a flickering light, pitch black, red. It looks like they're on an elevator to hell. <laughs> yeah, it came back fine, obviously. But yeah, I would prefer to work with natural light, but when you can't, it is always great to have lights at disposal. And I always buy cheap lights, but I've got a lot of them. And I can do so much with my cheap lights. And when I say cheap, I mean each light costs about 150 euros. And that is cheap in the grand scheme of cinema lighting. And we could talk about cinema lighting for, for days and how much it costs. But this is, you know, cheap, quote unquote, lighting. Well, um, going back to Kubrick here and cheap lighting. Yeah. Uh, I should really fact check this. Fact check this but he made a movie called barry linden now i'm going to go out there and say it was 1976 okay i have no idea so well it's either 1975 or three but i think it's 76 regardless, okay regardless um he used only natural lighting for the whole film and that's inspirational right so he used candles but okay. this goes back to kind of what you're saying before about the power of lights yeah was that it's not about the type of light. It's about where yeah. you place the light. It's true. You know, so you can have cheap lighting, candles yeah. or a window. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how he filmed the whole set. Although, <laughs> and this is a big although, huh. the movie he made before that, um, he was a 2001 A Space Odyssey and he yeah. worked very closely with NASA and they'd actually lent him a light bulb uh, no, no, not a uh, lens, sorry. Which that, was like super wide, was it? Like super fast, I mean. It, it was an F0.8. Oh, there we go. Back in 1976. But this is unheard of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the so, so natural light was easy. I mean, you've got crazy shallow depth of field on that. I mean, it depends on what angle the, the lens is, though. What, what like, is it like uh, 18, 24, 35? Is it? I don't know. If it was like super <laughs> wide angle, then the 0 0.8 would be like, okay. But if it's like 50, 0 0.8, it's almost impossible to focus. Yeah. But um, look, at, I think this is, this is a movie for anyone that's a filmmaker out there. Go out and watch Barry Lyndon, um, uh, a film that's not very talked about, but it is a cinematic masterpiece. I think the same goes for 2001 Space Odyssey. I mean, everyone knows that film. Everyone knows the certain scenes, or more so the yeah, soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Like, that, to me, the one iconic scene of the boom, 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 dun, 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 and, and then there's the monkeys, like, <laughs> like throwing the, the bones the, at each yeah. other, and then it cuts to the scene of the, the spaceships. Yeah. Um, I, it's iconic. I mean, I think if... If the Simpsons have copied something before in popular culture, yeah. it's that level of popular culture that everyone should know. And, and it's true. Uh, several of Kubrick's films have been satired by the Simpsons. Um, I know, for example, uh, yeah, 2001 Space Odyssey, um, there is a scene of Homer 
as one of the apes and like i've seen and, that. Th- and then there's also yeah. a scene of him as the baby in in the sky mm-hmm. um and um they also do it in one of their uh halloween like special episodes yeah. um yeah. they do a I've seen they did like a futuristic house and they've got hal but their version yeah exactly yeah, yeah. exactly and Wow, it just started. Yeah, it just started pouring down in sunny Berlin. It's twenty something <laughs> degrees outside, and it's yeah, it's, it's wet as shit. <laughs> but um, look, let's wrap this up here. I mean, this was a, the perfect day for us to to start this. So yeah. because we're we're just on the brink of uh, starting a a new channel, a new channel. But it's nice sometimes to clear the air and talk about some things. You know, if we wanted to talk about this on the channel, it would have to be spread over multiple episodes oh, for sure. and visual, you know, connotations to, to what we're talking about. But the podcast is great. And before we finish, I just want to say, anyone who is listening, you know, whatever light you have, if Stanley can create a feature film with natural light, great. And, you know, there's many people who've shot feature films on, listen, Feature films were shot on analog, no 4K, manual editing without software. If they can do that, you can use whatever you have access to to make something great. There's no excuses. And if you don't have lights, buy diffusion. Learn how to shape light. Buy reflectors. You know, this this is all ways. Or go somewhere where there is lighting already yeah, done for you. You know, for sure. As, yeah. Don't look at your footage and go, oh, it's noisy. <laughs> Learn to light it. Learn to shape it. There's always ways to make your bad camera look incredible. Don't settle for less. There's always ways to do it. Just put the extra foot in, do you know? Buy a 50mm lens. <laughs> you say that. <laughs> but I mean, but you know what? I, I'll, no, I'm going to argue that and say go and buy the Sigma 1835 1.8 and you'll never look back. If you're on APS-C, it's the equivalent of maybe, I don't know, 2450-something if you're on full frame, then yeah, it's, you know. Buy anything that's not a kit lens. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Although the Fuji came with an 1855, two point something, I think it was. And do you know what? To buy the kit lens new, do you know how much it costs? Like 800 euros. It's like, wow, best kit lens I've ever used. So if you buy a Fuji kit lens, I've used it for commercials and it has been the best lens I've used. So. You know. If you had to pick your one lens, okay. Yeah. Let's not talk about these lenses, which are uh, zoom lenses. Let's okay. talk about fixed prime lenses. Yeah, prime lenses. Okay. I'm gonna go 24 millimeter um, on an APS-C because it, it depends on what the sensor size. Your 35 millimeter crop. So, yeah, almost. so I'm gonna go 24 mil. And probably one point, yeah, one point eight is enough. Uh, anything, if I need anything lower than that, then I will start adding light instead of trying to open up my f-stop wider, because it's just going to get too shallow. And I, I used to think shallow was cool, but now I've realised I can make things look incredible at f four. It depends on I have to learn how to shape light and add dimension to a frame. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, 24 for me. I would agree. I mean, yeah. with your, uh, as you said, with a three-fold like, sensor, yeah. you know, so for the people, you know, that don't know, there's a difference between 
you full know, frame, full APS-C, frame, micro APS-C. four thirds, medium format, you know. Exactly. So if you're putting something that's like 24 on a full, then on a full frame. It's, I don't know the, the crop factor. I don't know how much it multiplies, but it's like one point something. Well, yeah. like if you, if you take a 24 and then put on a, on an APS-C and then yeah. put it on a full frame, it works out somewhere around the 35, Yeah, you know, which is what we all want. For sure. I think it's great for like, for me, the most perfect is natural eye kind of distance. What I perceive, that's the best. Zoom lenses are great and I use them all the time. But if I had one, I'd just go for the natural eye distance and and, and that would be it. All right. Well, that concludes episode one. Episode one, Movie Masters. Yeah. Stay tuned. You can follow us on our own social medias. I hope you got your uh, quick fix from our daily dosage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you dirty uh, boggers. No. You can look up uh, at Carlos Tomage. I'm the Carlos Tomage. You want to spell that for the for the for the listeners? Well, C A R L O S T O M I C H. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> myself is uh, Ruben Hester, which is R E U B E N. H-E-S-T-E-R and then music at the end. That's my main profile. Uh, anything you want to look at uh, video-wise, Marmalade Movies and everyone has had to spell Marmalade, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, look, this was just an, an opening topic for us, how we got started, kind of where we are now. Um, maybe next week we can talk about where we want to be. Yeah, but dive I mean, into more about our equipment and maybe we should talk about some of the films we've been on and the and the problems we've encountered and yeah the, the the obstacles we've had to overcome i mean that's one thing when you're making films you are forever learning you are forever learning without a doubt and you know you're gonna find your own niche and it all depends on what kind of films you want to make yeah. and that's what i say to people what what you want to make what your budget is who you're making it for and all in all it's just having fun so it is we're all here to learn a little bit have a little fun have a little laugh that's what's important. Anyway, we'll um, we'll, we'll see you next you, time. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we'll see you guys soon, I guess. <laughs> Till now. Our vid is in, baby. <laughs>